0: I want to minister to you tonight on Jesus' last words from the cross. I never have been real big on preaching with occasions, preaching, you know, a past appreciation day message or a resurrection Sunday message or you know a, a Christmas message, and maybe maybe because when my dad first started preaching, and he could tell you the story about this. They asked him to preach a past appreciation message. And I, I think I was 13 years old. But it was like his second sermon he preached. And he really struggled. And he was thinking to himself, you know, it's past appreciation. What can I preach? What can I preach that's going to go along with this? And I think he probably preached worse than he ever has preached before. And he told me, I remember him telling me years later how miserable he was getting that sermon together. So maybe that's why I've, why I've always stayed away from the occasion. But I believe that this is a perfect time to minister this word, being Resurrection Week. Being Resurrection Weekend, coming up, where we celebrate the cross of Jesus Christ and on the third day, Him being resurrected. Amen. In 2010, on a Sunday night in July, I laid in my bed, and I believe it was a Sunday, 4th of July, and and I laid there that night, and I began to cry out to God, And I began to cry out to God for signs and wonders and miracles. I began to cry out to God for fulfillment of His Holy Word. And I remember telling God that night, I remember telling God, I said, God, I'll do whatever. Whatever you want me to do, I'll give my life. I don't care. Whatever it takes to see the fullness of your Word. Just speak to me and show me. What do you want from the church? What do you want from me? me, How much do you want me to fast? How much do you want me to pray? How much do you want me to seek? And I remember laying in bed that night and falling asleep. And that Sunday night, that Monday night, and that Tuesday night, I had, I had visions and dreams all three nights. And every night, God sat down with me. And I remember sitting down at a desk and Him putting a Bible in front of me. And I remember our arms stretching across my shoulder. And having the Bible there. And I remember his arm being transparent. And being able to see through it. And I remember him taking me from Genesis to Revelation. Starting in the Gospels. And then flipping back to Genesis. And going all the way through Revelations. And flipping from chapter to chapter. All through the Bible. And this is what he said to me. Over and over and over. for Three nights in a row. For three nights I had the exact same dream. The exact same experience. And every night. This is what he spoke. It's all in the cross. From Genesis to Revelation, the whole foundation of this word is all in the cross. I remember him telling me, he said, man, you don't have to fast yourself to death. You don't have to read yourself to death. You don't have to pray yourself to death because someone already died for it. It's all in the cross, church. The fulfillment of dreams, the fulfillment of visions, and the fulfillment of this word, it's all in the cross. I believe that as ministers, that our theme in preaching is always always about Jesus. But sometimes we are guilty of using the name of Jesus. And so tonight I want to hammer home the name of Jesus. I want through this message tonight for our hearts to grow deeper in the love with Christ i want us to have a greater awareness of the power of the cross you see there is the the thing about the message of the cross and the thing about the message of jesus christ we can never grow to a full understanding of it it is, it's like the glory of God. It's like the angels and the, and the 24 elders that are around His throne. I believe that the reason why they keep crying, holy, 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 over and over, because I believe that every every time that they pass by, that they see a new dimension of His power and a new dimension of His glory. And I believe that is the same way with the message of the cross. I believe that every time that we get into it, and every time that we're reading the Gospels about Jesus Christ, I believe that there's a new dimension and a new power that is released into our spirits. And so we can never grow in the full understanding of the cross. All we do is just keep growing in the cross. Amen? All we do is just keep getting our roots deeper and deeper in the cross. And Isaiah 12 and 3 it says, With joy you will drink deeply from the fountain of salvation. You will drink deeply from the fountain of salvation. It is all in the cross. I want to look at the final words of Jesus from the cross. Let in his words, let in the words that he spoke to us, provoke us tonight to a love exchange. You know what this word is? It is to provoke me to exchange my love for his love. I pray that the word of God tonight and the words of Christ that it would absolutely provoke us into a baptism of passion into a baptism of hunger into a baptism of the Holy Spirit the final words of a dying loved ones of a dying person they are always the most precious words those words they burn themselves into our conscience the words of him or her It is their final testament of their life. It is their final testament to us. And we recall them. We recall them in the moments of our trials. We recall them in the moments of discouragement or challenge. And we seek strength from those words. We seek encouragement and even direction from them. So, with the words of Jesus Christ, surely the last words of Jesus from the cross have to be the most valuable memories for the believers. Are all His words powerful, you better believe. Ever dotted crossed, I, ever crossed T. But I believe that these last words, from His last breath, that He is breathing and He is speaking and sending a message to His church. The last words that a man or woman pronounces before dying, they come directly from the heart. They know that they are about to breathe their last. And many of them may have their family gathered around their closest friends. And they know that the words that they are about to speak are going to be their last. So they pull from the depths of their soul. Maybe I haven't told you I loved you enough. Maybe I haven't told you I care about you enough. Maybe I haven't told you how proud I am. But from their dying bed, they speak directly from the heart. Jesus, during the last six hours of his life, hanging between heaven and earth, enduring great suffer- suffering, he out seven statements revealing the richness of His heart. Revealing the richness of His inner being. Seven statements. Can I get someone to get me some water, please? Now, the crucifixion, it was a form of torment. I want you, I want to, get, I want you to get this in your spirit. It was a form of torment that literally... Knocked the wind out of a person. It was the weight of their body suspended by their arms. Causing extreme pain in their chest. Paralyzing their chest muscles. And making breathing extremely difficult. So here they are in extreme torment. With their arms stretched out, nailed. Nailed. Causing extreme difficulties, their chest muscles that cause them to breathe, their heart muscles that cause them to, to breathe, their oxygen is absolutely cut off. What, how, how do they die? They are suffocating. Crucifixion calls those that are being crucified to absolute suffocate, making breathing extremely difficult. The person being crucified could inhale, but had great difficulties to exhale. So they could inhale breath, but when it came to exhaling, that's when they couldn't do it. They would grasp for air. So when we speak, how do we speak? We don't speak by exhaling, do we? Or by inhaling, but we speak by exhaling. We speak by exhaling. So for Christ to speak to us from the cross, this is what He had to endure. Now remember, it is easy to inhale, but great difficulty exhale. And we exhale when we speak. And seven statements... Seven words, seven messages, Jesus Christ has to muster up the strength that He may be able to deliver it into this body, into the spirit of the church. And this is what He endures. To those that are being crucified, they must push on their feet and straighten out their legs to release the pressure on their arms and on their chest. In order to be able to exhale and to be able to speak a word, they would have to take their feet and they would have to push up on their feet like I'm doing right here. And they would have to straighten their legs out. But there's one problem with that in a crucifixion. The pain that was caused from this to his feet was so excruciating. Why? Because the nails in his feet. That many, when they would try to do this, when they would try to speak, when they would try to exhale, when they would try, when they would straighten straighten those legs and stiff out those feet, trying to raise up to grasp for one more breath in those lungs that had been paralyzed because of the intense, intense pain, they would cease such an effort and give up and die. But Christ endured this pain. With every word that He spoke, He endured this pain, that He may reveal His heart to us. Laying that foundation, I want to begin to speak to you on the seven statements, the seven words at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. The first one is found in Luke 23 and 34. There, none of these seven statements are all recorded in one gospel. But every man, everyone who wrote the gospels, all four of them, they just wrote from their own vision, their own interpretation. They wrote from what the Spirit inspired them to write. Just because Mark doesn't say what Matthew says and Matthew doesn't say what Luke says and Luke don't say, doesn't say what John says doesn't mean it's not real, it's all real. But in Luke 23 and 24, Jesus' first statement, Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. His first statement, his first sermon from the cross, is about forgiveness. Right up to his final hour on the earth, Jesus preaches forgiveness. He teaches forgiveness in the Lord's Prayer. In His first sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, that is recorded in Matthew, what does He preach? He preaches forgiveness. When asked by Peter, how many times should we forgive someone? Jesus answers, 70 times 7. So here Jesus is. He is hanging between heaven and earth, still pouring out His heart, and He's teaching us forgiveness. 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 He starts His ministry out hammering home that we must forgive. We must forgive. We must pray for our enemies and we must forgive them. And what is He ending? What is his, one of His last messages? His first statement is, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Forgiveness, church, is not a feeling or an emotion always. But forgiveness is an act of our own will. Forgiveness to someone that has wronged you, it's not an emotion. It's not something we just feel like doing. But it absolutely goes against the flesh when someone wrongs you to forgive them. It is a choice that we make. You see, you not forgiving someone who has wronged you doesn't affect that person. You're the one who suffers. You're not forgiving your husband and be forgiving your wife and forgiving your children. That doesn't do anything to them. But that causes you to suffer. There's a story one time of a man and a woman that got in a fight. They were spouses. And he was a preacher. He believed in God and he believed in the Word. He was a good man. And him and his wife got in a fight. And she did him wrong. And she went to the man and she said, Husband, will you please forgive me? And you know what he said? He said, absolutely not. You've crossed the line. I will not forgive you. That man walks out of the house, and within an hour, he dies. She takes his body and drags it to church and tells the preacher, you've got to pray for my husband. He has died before his time, and the preacher prays for him, and he's resurrected and comes back to life. But he comes back with a story. She asked him, how was your experience of life after death? He said, baby, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you. Why? Why Why is this the first thing you're saying? Because I went to hell. I stood before God I stood before his judgment seat and he asked me he said why did you refuse to forgive my son forgave my son forgave you but you refused and you held bitterness and malice in your heart and about that time he came back into his body God was sending grace in a message to this man and Jesus sent the message from the cross. We must forgive. Many good people, many good hearted people, will miss heaven because of bitterness and unforgiveness. Many good people, many good-hearted people, many people that sit on our seats Sunday after Sunday, they will miss heaven because of bitterness and unforgiveness because they cannot let go of someone that has hurt them and someone who does them wrong. And the sad thing is that person doesn't even know they did you wrong. It is a deception and an illusion, illusion and a lie of Satan to pull you into bitterness and to pull you into unforgiveness. I plead with you tonight... You must forgive. You must forgive those that have done you wrong. You must forgive those that have done you wrong. Forgive your spouse. Forgive your children. Forgive the men and women that you trusted, that hurted you, that hurt you growing up. Let God heal you and let it go and let forgiveness flow in your life. Father, forgive them. Now listen, listen. He's not talking about people who talked about him behind his back. He's not talking about people that made fun of him because he was hanging out with sinners. He's not talking about people that he had to forgive because they didn't invite him over for dinner. He's forgiven close friends. He's forgiven disciples that have rejected him and betrayed him. He's forgiven men that spit in his face. He's forgiven men that have beat him Men that beat them beat him with their fist. He's forgiven men that took a stick and put a crown on his head and drove the thorns into his head. He has forgiven men that beat him at the whipping post, trying their best to kill him before he ever even got to Calvary. He's forgiven men that nailed his body, his hands and his feet to the cross. These are the things that he has forgiven. Father, he said, forgive them for they know not what they do while the blood of the greatest sacrifice begins to flow from Calvary the high priest of all high priests be- starts to intercede for those that have done him wrong while by the, by the blood of the supreme the lamb of God begins to flow from Calvary the same man begins to intercede to the father forgive them, forgive them, forgive them open their eyes for they know not what they do Not only did he forgive them, but he got in between the gap of heaven and hell. And he said, Father, forgive them. He was interceding and praying for his enemies. With one breath, with one breath, he could have destroyed them all. But he chose in his last hours to pray, Father, forgive them. In the midst of his suffering, the heart of Jesus was focused on others rather than himself. In the midst of his suffering, the heart and the heart and the spirit of Jesus was focused on you and focused on me and focused on my sins and my shortcomings rather than having a pity party for being betrayed and lied upon. He said, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Oh my God. It is right here that we see the nature of His love. It is unconditional. It is divine. Forgive them. My God. The second... Saying of Jesus is in Luke twenty three, forty through forty-two. And we pick up the story where there's there's a criminal that is ragging on Jesus. There's a criminal that is mocking Jesus. And in Luke it records one, but in the other gospels it records two. So what that tells me is that two are making fun of him, but somewhere along the line, one of the criminals seen Jesus. But listen, listen to this criminals are ridiculing Jesus. The criminals are mocking him. Now it just isn't the religious leaders, the hierarchy. It just isn't the soldiers. But even the criminals that deserve to die are mocking him. Look at the downward progress of the mockery. Everyone mocks him. Everyone turns their back on him. But listen to this. In Luke 23, 42, 43, 42 and 43. Or let's go to 43 and 40 and 42. The criminal, he just says, he's asking, Hey, forgive me. Remember me today when you come into your kingdom. And this is the second phrase of Jesus. And Jesus replied, I assure you today, You will be with me in paradise. You will be with me in paradise. Jesus was moved by the repentant attitude. And the faith of the thief. God cannot stand the haughty and the arrogant. He cannot stand the proud. But he turns his heart to the humble. And it was a humble, broken, repentant attitude and faith of a thief that did not deserve grace in his human efforts. He did not deserve to be remembered. But because of a humble, repentant attitude, And Jesus assured him, today you will be with me in paradise. His second words are again about forgiveness. But this time he directs it towards the sinner. This time, let's call it salvation. His second message from the cross is about salvation. With his second words, Jesus shows his sovereignty. He shows his sovereignty how? By opening the heavens for a repentant sinner. He shows his sovereignty. He shows forth his power. By opening the heavens. Opening paradise to a man that had lived his life full of sin. You know what his heart was crying out? Give me one more soul. Jesus hanging there on the cross Beaten to the point of death Still delivering Still bringing freedom to the lost He is on the point of death And all he can think about Is one more soul He has, to, he has to strengthen his, straighten his legs and stand on his feet in excruciating pain. In excruciating pain that he may excel this word so that he may breathe salvation into a lost soul. Give me one more soul. Give me one more life. Smith Wigglesworth would not go to bed until one more soul was saved he's laying in bed one night and he said I haven't let anyone of the Lord he goes out and sees a man that's in his carriage hops up in the carriage leads the man to Jesus Christ the next day Smith, Wigglesworth, Smith Wigglesworth's mother is, she is, his mother-in-law is with this woman and this woman begins to share with her how her son her son-in-law had died had died the night before And Smith uh, Smith Wigglesworth's mother-in-law, she realized and she knew this mother. And she knew that the son-in-law was not saved. And she immediately said, oh, he didn't know the Lord. And this mother-in-law spoke to Smith Wigglesworth's mother and said, oh yeah, there was a man last night that jumped in his carriage and led him to jesus christ she said jumped in his carriage and led him to jesus christ and she began to describe smith wigglesworth smith wigglesworth led this man to jesus because he said give me one more soul give me one more soul not knowing that night that man would take his last breath let the church arise with the message of jesus christ give me one more soul one of the pioneers of our faith amen glory to god one of the pioneers of our faith laying on his deathbed one of the forerunners of the gospel laying there his men surrounded him this one word he had this one statement he had to say give me one more soul what is our vision statement here I would have to say it's the same vision statement of Jesus Christ in the second phrase. Let's advance the kingdom of God one soul at a time through his ministry, Jesus Christ. Luke 19 and 10. Don't don't be mistaken why the Son of Man came, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that 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 was lost. That's why he's here. The Son of Man came with a mission. He came with salvation, hope, and deliverance, and freedom for the lost. He makes a statement here with his last words the loss. There is a statement and there is a message right here that he sent to this man and he sent it out through eternity. Just every sinner, no matter where you are, no matter how long you've been in sin, you're one prayer away from eternal salvation prayed in faith. One prayer away. I love the next statement in John 19, 26 and 27. When Jesus saw his mother standing there, beside the disciples, disciple he loved, he said to her, Dear woman, here is your son. And he said to this disciple, Here is your mother. And from then on, the disciples took her into his home. It's amazing to see Jesus here, suspended on the cross, dying, but still preoccupied with others. He is suspended here on the cross, and he's dying, and he's suffering, and all he can think about is you. He is suffering in his body and all he can think about is the well-being of his mother. He is still, even at this point, preoccupied with you. Preoccupied with his mother. At the point of death, he was making arrangements to assure that she would not lack anything. His heart was filled with compassion. Now he's dying and all he can think about is the well-being of the ones he loves. Don't be selfish. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others, but be humble and think about others better than yourself. Galatians 6 says, don't think that you're more important, that you're too important to help somebody. He's hanging here on the cross. He's dying. He's only he's suffering every time he speaks something. But he cares about you and he cares about his mother, and he's taking care of her. Despite his suffering, his increasing difficulties to breathe, consumed with death on the outside, yet consumed with passion and love on the inside for people. Christ had a passion, had a a compassion for people. He told his disciples, we can't leave them, we can't send them home, away hungry. What if they faint along the way? He wasn't focused on his suffering but focused on making arrangements for you after death. Let me say that again. He wasn't focused on his suffering, but he was focused on me and you to make arrangements for me and you after death. His next one, number four, would be abandoned. This is what he says in Matthew 27:46. At about three o'clock, Jesus calls out with a loud voice, My God, my God. Why have you abandoned me? My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? After five and a half hours of anguish, at the peak of his pain, the Lord cries out, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? His words report the suffering and indicate the suffering of being separated from God. Never before, never before had this deep, intimate fellowship between Jesus and God ever been broken. From all eternity, he knew God face to face. Never before had his deep, intimate fellowship between Jesus and God ever been broken. He became separated. He became separated and He took our place. You see, we were the ones supposed to be separated, not Jesus. Because of my sin, because of my transgression, because of my trespass against this Word. It was my eternal, eternal destiny because of sin to be separated from God. But Jesus took my place. Jesus took the pain. Jesus carried my sin. And he suffered the pain of being separated and God having to turn his face. Why? Because of my sin. I believe that his greatest pain it wasn't the nails. It wasn't the whipping post. It wasn't the fist. It wasn't the spit. It wasn't the betrayal. His greatest pain was God turning his face from him because of our sin. Where You want to know where his greatest pain was? It was right here at this moment in his fourth message. Why have you abandoned me? He's all alone. And he has to face death all by himself. He became the mediator. I said he became the mediator, reconciling God and humanity. He who knew no sin became the offering, the freedom for our sin. There is no greater love than a man that would lay down his life for a friend. It is all in the cross. He disregarded the shame, the suffering, and the pain of the cross and became the perfect sacrifice, cleansing us from all our sins. Christ sent a message with this word. Listen to the message that is hidden in this word. It doesn't matter who you are. God is a just God when it comes to sin. And he has to turn his face from all sin. It doesn't matter if you pay your tithes and you come to church every Sunday. It doesn't even matter if you give to the poor. It does not matter what you do according to this word. If there is sin and darkness in your life, God is a just God and he has to turn from sin. I like what it says here. It says he, he always calls him Father, but right here he calls him God. Father, the character of his father's side and his love side, his parenting side, always woos us and draws us. But because of his justice, because of his faithfulness, because he cannot lie, the judgment side of God has to turn away from sin. And at this point, even though he was his son, and he was a perfect sacrifice because of my sin, the justice of God had to turn from the sin. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? What pain and suffering he felt while carrying my sin. What pain and suffering he felt while carrying me. What I, what I do wrong intentionally. What I do wrong on purpose, but really what I do wrong intentionally Please don't sin on purpose. I understand that we all sin and we fall short of the glory of God. But please, girls, draw so close to God and get so much of this word in your life that you stop sinning. Don't hurt Him. Please stop hurting Him. The fifth. In John 19 and 28, Jesus knew that His mission was now finished. Someone say amen. Jesus knew that his mission was now finished, and to fulfill the scriptures, he says this I am thirsty. On the point of dying, Jesus, with parched lips, cries out this I am thirsty. He was the Son of God. He was all man. He was all man. He was just, He man, been the Son of God. He man. Man, but yet he was still flesh and blood he hurt just like me and you he fatigued and he was hungry and he got thirsty just like me and you he felt the pain just like me and you some people like to put him in this supernatural body he is supernatural because of the spirit of god but his body is just like me and you who would have ever thought that the one who come as a source of living water for all man would one day suffer a thirst and cry out i'm thirsty Why did He do it? Because of me. Because of you. Jesus refused the initial... I love this. Jesus, He refused the initial drink of vinegar. But here, several hours later, when Jesus... But here, several hours later, we see Jesus fulfills prophecy found in Psalms 69 and 21. The word the Lord says, why did He say He was thirsty? To fulfill the Scriptures. In this fifth statement, Jesus Christ was all about fulfilling the Scripture. He said, my mission's over, but I've got to fulfill the Word. Let every man be a liar, but let God's Word be true. Jeremiah 1 and 12 tells us that God will watch over His Word to see that it's fulfilled. My mission is done. My mission is over, but I've got to fulfill the Word. So I'm just going to say it. Hey, all of God's promises have been fulfilled through and in Christ Jesus, with a resounding yes and amen. I got two more points. I'm going to hurry. The sixth, in John 19 and 30, when Jesus had tasted it, he said this: "It is finished." Just before giving up his spirit, Jesus cries out, "It." is finished. Now listen, usually a crucified person at the point of death like Jesus was, didn't have the strength to cry out, but just surrendered his spirit with a moan. But our Savior gave out a loud cry. His cry was not a cry of death, it was not a moan of death. But it was a cry of victory. And he cried out this, it is Finish. He had just won the greatest victory ever through his life of perfect obedience to God and his death on the cross. The greatest victory the world had ever seen. He had just fulfilled it because of his integrity and his obedience to God the Father. Even though he was the son of God, he considered himself lowly and humble and not a criminal's death. He opened with this with this victory and with this cry and with the death of it is finished in him, giving up his spirit. He opened the door of heaven to all mankind that will believe upon him. He broke down the walls that separated men from God. Christ. Christ Jesus. Our Passover lamb, he that is worthy to break this seal and read the scroll and release the judgment of God, was sacrificed and he cried out, it is finished. These three words come with great impact and with a lot of meaning. Not only Christ's earthly life was finished, not only his suffering and dying was finished, but the payment for your sin. The payment and the redemption of the world was now marked paid in full. The Scripture had been fulfilled, and everything was now finished. It's finished. We are no longer a slave to sin. We are no longer in bondage to sin. Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. For the wages of sin were death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. What the first Adam could not accomplish, and then in the second Adam... Jesus Christ, in the full obedience, fulfilling the word of God, hangs between heaven and earth, and cries out, It is finished! My God, let me tell you something. God paid a high price for you through the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. Now refuse to be enslaved by sin. I declare that it is finished. It is finished. I declare the spirit of pornography. The spirit of adultery. The spirit of lying. The spirit of deception. The spirit of alcoholism. The spirit of cussing. The spirit of gossip. The spirit of jealousy. The spirit of envy, The spirit of anger. The spirit of fear. I declare through the spirit of God, it is finished. He who the Son sets free is absolutely free indeed. His last saying. I love this. His last saying shows how much you trust the Father. Luke 23 and 46 Then Jesus shouted, Father, into your hands I commit And I entrust my spirit. And with those words, He exhaled for the last time in this earthly body. And look at this. Now, Christ enters the crucifixion, right? With His heart crying out, Father, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So He enters the crucifixion with the Father on His heart. And then he exits the crucifixion with the Father still burning on his lips. He enters the crucifixion with the Father, and he exits the crucifixion with the Father. The first time we hear the voice of Christ is at the age of 12 years old in Luke chapter 2. And what does he say? When his parents left him in Jerusalem, and he's in he's 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 at the temple and he's teaching them, and his parents said, We've been looking for you. What did he say? Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? So the first time we ever hear the voice of Jesus, what does he speak of? The Father. And the last time you ever hear him in his earthly body, what does he speak? Father. My God, that's good stuff. You see the Father, you see the Son, you see the Son, you see the Father. No one truly knows the Son except the Father. And no one truly knows the the Father except the Son and those whom He chooses to reveal Him to. So He enters the crucifixion with the Father. He exits the crucifixion with the Father. He speaks the first time on behalf of the Father. And He speaks the last time in an earthly body on behalf of the Father. Christ was intimately connected with the Father. Therefore, He trusted His Spirit in the hands of the Father. If you are not intimately connected with the Father and with the Word, of the, with the Holy Word, then you will not trust the Father. How did He trust the Father? He was always with the Father. He was always speaking of the Father. Jesus entered His death. He entered His death The same way he lived his life. Offering his life as a perfect sacrifice and placing himself in the hands of God. Listen, he had nothing else to give. He had nothing else to give. His body was one breath from death. But with the last breath he submitted and confidence, all he had left. In the last breath that he had, he submitted with complete confidence and complete trust that all that I have, I give unto thee. And I know that by your spirit that you'll raise me on the third day. He trusted in the Father. And there's one last thing. The, he is the, Christ is the living word, right? So what's the last thing that he what's the last statement that he makes right here? The living word in his last statement, he leaves this world, world, releasing the word. The living word in his last statement, he leaves the world, releasing the holy word into the atmosphere. With his last breath, what does he do? He quotes David from the Psalms, Psalms 31 and 5. I entrust my spirit into your hands. He pulls from Psalms thirty-one and verse five. I entrust my spirit into your hands. In his very last breath, he releases the living word into the atmosphere. He preaches the word with this last statement. Glory to God. Stand with me tonight. Let us give God a hang up. Let us pray. Father of life, draw us closer. For Lord, our spirits and our hearts are waiting, depending on the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But as we wait for the coming, let us seek your face. As we wait for the coming, let us seek to fulfill your word. As we wait for the coming, let us seek that the words of the cross may be fulfilled in our lives. Let us seek that forgiveness may be fulfilled. Let us seek that we seek to save those that are lost. Let us seek out those that are hurting and those that are broken. Let us seek not to please ourselves, but to please you. Let us seek to trust you and to release your word. Let us seek to see that the Word of God is finished and fulfilled within our life. That it is not just seed in our life. It is not just seed that we look at and say, Man, that was a good sermon. Man, that was a good service. But let the seed begin to grow into fruit. Let the seed begin to grow into into trees of righteousness. That the Word of the Lord within us may be fulfilled. And let us just be thirsty. Hungry and passionate. Let us never forget, it's not in us. No man enters the kingdom of God. No man enters heaven by his own works. But it is simply a gift from God. It is simply from the richness of your kindness and the richness of your grace that we will inherit eternal life. No one gets there by themselves. Let us always remember the price that you paid. It's not our fasting. It's not how much Bible we know, how much we study. It's not how much we pray. It's not how much we go to church. It's how connected we are with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Transform us and change us this night. Because it's all in the cross of Jesus Christ. That we have been united with the Father. No more division. Father, go with your people and bring them back safely. And I pray that winds of salvation would sweep, would sweep across America this weekend. Convict the lives and draw them now. Begin to knock that they may open and that you may come in and save souls. Save husbands and mothers and fathers, wives and children, grandparents and in-laws, aunts and uncles and cousins and friends and neighbors and co-workers and students. Save principals and governors and presidents. In the name of Jesus Christ, save them now. For the glory of the kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray and ask.